You're listening to What She Said, a podcast about blogging, creativity and life online hosted by me, Lucy Lucraft, a freelance journalist and blogger based in Brighton. If you've ever listened to the podcast before, you'll have heard me mention the blogger course and for good reason too. Monica Stock created the travel hack back in 2009 and since then she's become one of the most respected travel bloggers in the UK, if not the world. She's worked with a gazillion brands and she even has her own suitcase, which is amazing, by the way. Over a series of weeks, Monica shares tips on creating video content, branding, writing, and the dreaded niche. (laughs) In fact, this was such a game changer of a chapter for me that I went from thinking I was just a travel blogger to knowing that I am something completely different and that I have a super tight niche. It really, really changed my blogging life. The course isn't the only thing that you'll get, as all chapters are available for audio download. And when you join, you become a member of the Private Blogger Course Facebook group, where members share tips, tricks and opportunities too. Monica also gave members of the course the chance to join her on a press trip this year. In fact, I think they've been on two Blogger Course weekenders with Wow Trip, um, and there's more to come. So that's a pretty cool opportunity, and it's not one that I've seen with any other course. If you want to sign up, head to thebloggercourse.com today and get 20% off with the code WHATSHESAID. That's 20% off with the code WHATSHESAID. Hi Charlotte, how are you? Hello, Um, I'm good, thank you. I'm good, how are you? I'm good. I'm not naked, as we've already established. I think it's important for the listeners to know that. (laughs) Lucy (laughs) accidentally sent me a a picture on Skype. We don't don't know, and I said, I just just hope it's not a nude. (laughs) I'll send you that later. Yeah, that would be great, thanks. (laughs) So for anybody who doesn't know who you are, would you mind introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about your blogging journey so far? Yes, I am Charlotte Jacqueline and I live in Lincoln with my boyfriend and I have a one-year-old daughter called June. Um, I don't know, it's all getting a bit blind date, isn't it? Um, <laughs> but recently, I've only just started calling myself a blogger and podcaster, which we can maybe talk about in a bit, but I run a blog called Betty Magazine and I run a podcast with Liv Purvis of what Olivia did called The Fringe of It. That's the name of our podcast. And Betty started off as a printed magazine, but it actually started off as a uni project 10 years ago, my second year of uni. Um, And then I developed it with my old business partner into a printed publication, and it got distributed in 15 different countries around the world. And then after I had my daughter last year, I decided, me and my business partner decided to go our separate ways, and I relaunched it as a blog only online. Um, And that's been probably... Eight or nine months it's been in that that entity. Um, so, yeah, that's me in a nutshell, rambly nutshell. That wasn't rambly at all. That was perfect. You can tell you're a podcaster. Well, I've only... It's um, it's funny. I just put up episode 22 of The Fringe of It today. And I feel like after 22 episodes, I feel like I kind of know what I'm doing now. But, <laughs> like today was the first day we had extensive episode notes with links. Nice. And the... <laughs> And the importance of taking pauses and breaths. Yes. Because if you listen to, sorry, talking over you, if you listen to our first episode, we're just kind of so excited because we just think that silence, silence is a bad thing on a podcast. See, now I'm leaving loads of really awkward silences (laughs) because I'm like, well, I can't be the first one to jump in because I'm a podcaster as well. (laughs) Okay, maybe two podcasters shouldn't do it because there might just be airwaves (laughs) of silence. (laughs) 
Let's talk about your transition from print to digital only a little bit, if you want to. How how was that? What was that decision process like? So, I always hate starting sentences with so. Um, <laughs> not so. Betty um, was in print, and it was in print in its official capacity as fa- for five years. Um, and me and my old business partner, who was also called Charlotte, we printed it yeah, twice a year and we made money from it, but it paid for itself, but that was it. Mm-hmm. And on the side of that, um, Charlotte did freelance interior styling, um, creative consulting and was raising two children. At this point, I didn't have a child, but I was working as alongside it in the early days I was working full-time in digital marketing within fashion so I worked for Paul Smith, Lily Guinness, Topshop, Ben Sherman and Betty was what I did in the evenings and I used to do it till you know two in the morning um, and get up really early and and work on it then Um, and then I slowly very very slowly figured out the office environment and that kind of structure wasn't for me so I went over into freelance and I did digital marketing consultancy, uh, social media, um, freelance for different companies. Um, and I also lectured part-time within digital marketing, within fashion at UCA and LCF, London College of Fashion. Mm-hmm. So I've always kind of done it with other jobs on the side. And we've always, we always wanted it to be bigger than it was, but we could never kind of figure it out. And then for me, the catalyst of having my daughter was just a big kick up the bum. I was like, I can't do three jobs and have a daughter and not make that much money from all of the things that I'm doing. So my, it's a really long, sorry, it's not that much of a long story. I'm nearly finished. (laughs) So it was, when I was pregnant, I kept talking to my business partner and I was like, we need to sort this out. We had so many different ideas, but we couldn't really agree on anything. And I, I, I didn't want to lose her as a friend and we didn't really have any business contracts in place. And so we kind of had to go gently with those Mm. conversations. So, you know, we'd talk for a bit and then we'd leave it for a bit. And then eventually we got to a point where my business partner didn't want to do it anymore. But I felt that it still had life and I wanted to take it online and she just didn't want to take it online. Um, Charlotte isn't a big fan of social media, of oversharing, you know, and that's absolutely fine. So she kind of said, you know, she had to get to a place where she was really done with it because otherwise if I continued with it without her, you know, there's going to be an element of resentment where um, you're kind of both tugging in different directions. So that was the kind of conversations I was having while I was pregnant. And then once I'd given birth, I was like, wow, wow, I gave birth. (laughs) I can do anything. Um, So I called her up and kind of shaking and sweating and just said, you know, can I buy you up the business? And it was quite a small um, business at that time and and it's still growing. Um, So I bought her out the business, which sounds really official. Um, But the, as I say, the catalyst for that was having my daughter, but I met a wonderful woman called Ray Dodd. Yes. <laughs> we love Ray. <laughs> I feel like I can't do a podcast without mentioning Ray, but she's been really instrumental in, in kind of changing my outlook on life. So mm. we worked together on hypnobirthing, but what I loved about hypnobirthing um, 
was the mindset work, the kind of all the sports psychology element of it. So the power of positive thinking, the power of affirmations. Um, and so after I'd worked with Ray on hypnobirthing, she actually made the change into business coaching. And I worked with her last year on business coaching. So she really just helped me relaunch the site and gain focus um, financially and creatively on what I was doing. So I'm not going to undermine that sentence by saying I hope that makes sense, but I really hope that makes sense. <laughs> it does. It's a pretty fascinating journey, and I really relate to the part about when you give birth and you suddenly you suddenly realise you're a superwoman and that you can do the stuff that was maybe a bit scary before because it nothing nothing really matters as much as it did before. I, but that's certainly what I found. Yeah, I think I was really lucky as in having my daughter just shifted mm. my perspective on the world, which people talk about a lot. And the one th- of my major worries when I was pregnant was, you know, would it, would I love this child as much as people talk about loving their children and would it shift my perspective? Um, and I was really lucky that it, it did and it all became a lot clearer for me. And I know that not everybody has that experience. So, um, yeah, I feel eternally grateful that, that that's how it worked out for me. Yeah, definitely. Me too. So going back to what you said in your intro about that you'd on, you only just now are calling yourself a blogger and a podcaster. And I want to kind of pepper this with a little anecdote. Is it an anecdote? Yeah, I guess it is. So when Charlotte and I met, which was what, three weeks ago? A month I mean, it's ago. been an intense love affair. Yeah, right. <laughs> we met on a Friday and we were in love by Sunday, I would say. I certainly uh-huh. was in love with you by Sunday. <laughs> no, we met, we met on a Sunday, you remember? No, you're that. right. <laughs> on Sunday and it was by well, Tuesday morning when you said you were going to leave early. I, I was a bit heartbroken. I was like, what do you mean you're leaving me? <laughs> it was intense we didn't get to making love by wednesday which i have to throw in there <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so i i knew of you but i didn't realize i knew of you until afterwards um because in my head i just thought your name was betty <laughs> i kind of wish it was i mean it can be um but i was so surprised at how well you're very down to earth I wasn't surprised about that but I was very surprised at how not up your own ass you are (laughs) and that you still had and it's so funny because however long I've been blogging or in this working in this whole online world it never fails to surprise me when I meet someone who I think of as a superstar blogger who still has their own insecurities, doesn't think they're smashing it like everybody else thinks they are. Yeah, I found that really surprising. And I I wonder if people listening to this podcast, especially newer bloggers or people who haven't met you or, you know, haven't heard your podcast might have the same feeling. So when you say you've only just started calling yourself a blogger and a podcast, I'd love to talk about that a bit more. Yeah, I'd love love to pick this apart. So I think (laughs) when... I had a printed magazine people are always impressed mm. they're like what what do you do and I'd always I wish um Emma Gannon's multi-hyphen method uh, the book came out years ago because that would have I used to list off the jobs that I did I'd be like I'm a freelancer and um, but I'm a lecturer and then I have a magazine and I'd just go on and on and you could see people's faces at 
I didn't even go to the, that many dinner parties, but you know, in that situation, I'd be like, oh my God. Um, they just kind of look at me. But when I said the word magazine, people took me seriously. People were like, oh, she has an actual printed magazine. And they just assumed that, you know, I was Condé Nast and Anna Winter and, and making tons of money, which was totally not the case, but it's people's perceptions. Yeah. And then when I tell people, I kind of used to, tack blogger on at the end mm. um, and then you could see people's faces kind of change when when I went from oh um, I've got a magazine to oh I've got a blog and their face just was like mm, she's one of them um <laughs> so I think it was only actually it was funny it was about four weeks ago I had a oh, sound like a right a right ass go down to work <laughs> I had a massage and the massage from I was like I'm a blogger and a podcaster. That's what I am. Why, you know, what, I, I actually wrote web editor, not a web editor. I, you know, I write, I write and produce all my own content. And um, I think we have to start kind of like owning, like blogging isn't a bad thing. Mm. It, and if people think that it is, I think I, a few people always say, well, how do you make money? Mm. I don't ask you how your finances mm. are going. I mean, I'll happily talk about it, but, you know, for people with kind of more traditional jobs, um, especially maybe more male-orientated, mm. um, I was in Sheffield at the weekend, and um, a guy came over to our table where we were eating because my daughter was kind of, like, waving at them. Anyway, turns out, as, as most things, it's a really small world, and we are born in the same town. We got chatting. Uh, we live near each other, blah, blah, blah. We probably know some some of the same people and then he said what do you do and I said oh I'm a blogger and he's like oh well how many followers have you got oh my God. I, do you know what I mean they're all just quite negative reactions yeah yeah but I've just started to own it because what it's a it's a bloody wonderful job yeah yeah good for you I I really relate to that because I always lead with I'm a journalist and actually and this is kind of gross but sometimes when people say and like maybe introduce me maybe I'm at an event or something I've been invited to because I'm a blogger they might say this is Lucy she's a blogger or she has a blog and I'm like oh I'm a journalist actually oh my god what an asshole who says that <laughs> I correct people sometimes because of that yeah but it's 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 those jobs have got more validation in other people's yeah, eyes like owning a magazine being a journalist and yeah. um I understand, um, you know, with certain things like journalism, people have been to journalism school, um, whereas I haven't studied to be a blogger. But at the same time, I've got 10 years of experience related to that field. I haven't been to journalism school. Oh, well, in that case, stop calling yourself. <laughs> I've been outed. Oh, no. I'm a fraud. <laughs> Quite a lot of people haven't been to journalism school. That's just one of those popular misconceptions. And actually, the first byline I ever got was based on the fact that I had a blog. So, what, yeah. Sorry, I just was going to interrupt you there. What, what do you mean? What do you mean? The first byline you ever got? Yeah, so the first bit of published writing I ever got mm. um, for Lonely Planet Traveller was because I had a blog. Well, there we go. It's mad, isn't it? So I got it. I got all of this. I got my title of journalist because I have a blog, but I would never say I'm a blogger. So strange, isn't it? I have actually started looking up journalism courses at night school where I live, but because I want to be a better writer, so I want to see how I can improve. So that's something that I am looking at, but not because I want to say I'm a journalist. No, um, and I think that's 
yeah that's different isn't it because that's almost that's you're just honing your craft aren't you although technically then you'll be more qualified than I am to be a journalist (laughs) or will you who knows I don't know and then I'm going to put it on my business card just because you can't (laughs) well I'm going to put web editor on mine (laughs) oh how dry does that sound web editor I'm not going to go any web editors but I'm sure there's a more glamorous way of putting it content curator content queen content queen nice um I wanted to talk a little bit about something that me you and Hannah Bullivant uh had a very passionate and heated discussion about um which was money and brands and how brands use the silence around money with in the money chat within bloggers within blogger circles to their own advantage by which I mean they they basically rely on the fact that we won't talk to each other about how much we all earn so that they can pay us differing amounts I mean I feel like you me and Han could never have a casual conversation <laughs> But that's that's what I like when I meet new people. It's just like how quickly can we get to the nit, the nitty gritty? <laughs> I'm not I'm not really there. Well, I do like a chat about the weather, but you know, then then where is it going? But that that was really interesting, and I do find I talk to people more and more. But it was all kind of it all stems from the fact we're all trying to make it work. We're all trying to make a living, um, and I actually kind of got a bit ranty on Twitter, which I don't normally do, but. Um, I just kind of had enough. There were so many queries in my inbox. Oh, we'd love to work with you. We'd love we'd love to do this. And, and one reply in particular, so I've learned to reply with, you know, could you let me know if there's any budget for content creation? And then one guy replied with, Oh, the that that tricky subject, mm. budget. I was thinking, what do you mean that tricky subject called budget? You're a company asking me to promote something and you haven't got any budget it you know I, I find it really really insulting yeah. um, and I think it just kind of pits us all against each other and that's why it's kind of all a bit secretive mm-hmm. because everyone's fighting in a way to get paid for 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 the work that they do and I just find it incredibly incredibly frustrating especially the, I'm talking about the bigger companies here I'm not necessarily talking about independent companies and um, you know small businesses and things um to be honest though I think it works the same way because small business or not you would never go to your local newspaper and say I'd like a full page advert and then and then be surprised when they come back and say, okay, well, these are our rates. And you go, oh, well, we're actually a small company and there's only one of us and we can't really afford to pay you. You just wouldn't. Yeah. Um, I actually um, had a bit of a, a revelation in the car this morning because one of the things that I find difficult is when people say this should be your rate. So, for example, I have 67,000 Instagram followers. So, you know, some people work the rate at, 670 pounds um you know that's just how some people work it out um but I said to Jack it's not you know if you are watching something on tv or watching something or reading something in a newspaper a blogger's audience or you know an Instagrammer or a podcaster or you know all of those things combined they are a lot more active um and also they can they can 
click through to something really easy. Whereas if I'm watching the telly, I'll be like, oh, I'll check that company out later. Mm. Probably never do because I, you know, I forget. Whereas if I see an advert on someone's Instagram or blog, I'm, I'm way more likely to click through and actually act upon that. So I think those old metrics of, you know, this is how much it is because this many people watch, watch the TV show or this many people follow me on Instagram. I personally feel that I have a really, a much more highly engaged audience so I'm much more likely to, to act upon that, you know, whatever it is that I'm, I'm talking about. I don't know. It's just something I've been thinking about. No, um, I completely agree with you. Completely agree with you. But I think that that comes from everybody feels like they have to legitimise things by adding rules, don't they? So I I find the, yeah, you should charge this X, Y, Z really, really irritating for for kind of different reasons, actually. But I completely agree with you. Um, But do you feel safe online to or even amongst your blogging group of friends um to share how much you're getting paid because I think that's a big stumbling block actually people not feeling safe to share yeah I I think that's a really interesting question and I think instinctively I would say I wouldn't feel comfortable sharing it online but I would feel comfortable sharing it with friends yeah um I'll happily talk to friends about how much I got paid for a certain campaign because I think the more we talk, the better it is and the more people will value their worth. Online, um, I probably would be a little bit more discreet. But why? I'm just trying to... Yeah, 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 I'm questioning it with myself. Um, I know when it comes to money, people always bring up Sarah Tasker because she has talked about how much she earned. Um, and maybe maybe I'll do that at the end of the year and say this is how much I earn this year. I don't know if it'll be an... I actually don't know what figure it would be. We're only seven months into the year. But maybe that's what I need to start doing. Because, yeah, why wouldn't I talk about it online? But also, why would you? I mean, I think... I I do think talking about money is important. I think it's really important. But there's a really fine line between talking about it to to make other people feel better slash own your own success mm-hmm. and and do it as a way of kind of proving to yourself that you're legitimate I don't know I'm sort of talking as I'm thinking the thought so I don't know no, if this is making I, sense do you know what I mean yeah totally I totally agree with that because I think what's great about when other people talk about money is it then makes me feel oh wow there is opportunity yeah, for me to get exactly. to that that goal and I think that's it. That's super, super, super important, especially for women. Um, but it would be even better if if there were more marginalised communities. You know, uh, black mixed race BME, isn't it? Um, people in the industry feeling safe to talk about what they earn, how they earn it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, BM, BAME, sorry. BAME, Well, I wrote this in the tweet, so the I did like a whole thread, um, and I was just saying, you know, I'm a white middle class woman, and I have I have borrowed money from my parents this year mm-hmm. and my boyfriend's parents, and um, we, you know, we we are paying it back, 
Um, but what about people that aren't in those in in that position of privilege? Because not everybody is. And I, you know, we talk about making things more diverse. Like this is where companies I just feel exploit because, they, you know, that that's how it becomes a whitewash industry. Yeah. If if you know, are they really committed to change if they're not applying budget for for all these campaigns? Yeah. Because it should be equal opportunity, for, you know, for everybody. Um, and I, yeah, I definitely think what you've just said there. Um, but th- maybe that needs to happen in, in safe communities, in, or yeah, sorry, in I safe spaces so. for yeah. those communities. I think so. Because what you don't want is is people coming along and saying, you know, why are you talking about money? Yeah. Um, or or criticising it because you know then. Pe- sorry, got so many thoughts. But you know, <laughs> certain marginalised groups need to see different ways to make money and the opportunities that are available. I think a lot of it comes from as well people who aren't in those people who are currently working with brands like you like Sarah like everybody that I see working with brands obviously there are other influencers available (laughs) than just you two there are not there are not (laughs) (laughs) but you two are the only ones that come to mind at the moment but it's about when you work with a brand pushing back and saying what is what is your strategy how are you reaching out to the queer community how why have you only got white models you know i i think i've i've definitely been guilty of that in the past when i've done events and mm. um, so on my website you can go to past events and i've not been conscious necessarily about who i have invited to speak um recently i've been invited to speak so the the kind of opposite of that and I've just pulled out an, of an event um, Grace Bonney on um, the founder of Design Sponge has got a really great email template for you to send to people um, but actually somebody pointed out to me on Twitter that it needs to um, add accessibility to that as well yeah. so the venue needs to be accessible yeah. and not only how are you representing minority um, communities within the speakers but also um disabled communities as well um and i think that's something that we just have to get braver saying like the actual founder of the event called me up and it was a really intense conversation um but i stood my ground and old me would have just crumbled and flaked and said no no no, i'll do it i'll do it and i said no i'm you know unfortunately i'm not doing it um you need to you need to represent other people that don't look like me yeah it's just it's just not on and i'm guilty of it too because up until series three every single guest on on my podcast was white and I'm not even I'm not even white so it's it's ridiculous that I but you know it's it's totally fine when these things happen it's just not fine to carry on that way I I think we have to just be kind to each other and kind to ourselves and just try and change as much as possible one of the things that I keep saying is I never used to say anything con- that could be, you know, perceived as controversial, whereas now I will and I will own it. However, if I say something that isn't quite right or, you know, a little bit out of, I, you know, I, I don't want to be, um, I don't want to be offensive and I'm not setting out to be offensive, but say, you know, say I said something that wasn't quite right and somebody contacted me and, and in, a, in a nice way and said, you know you said that but actually um, can I just point out a couple of things and I think knowing when to listen Mm. and apologize as well you know and if we're going to have these uncomfortable discussions it it has to be done in a way where you're you're willing 
to get it wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, you're not setting out to get it wrong, but it probably will happen along the way. And then, you know, when you do, you have, you know, you have to apologise. And like you say, change it. I wonder if that is a similar reason to people not feeling safe to share things like their metrics, how they really grew their blog, how much money they actually earn. Because... I I think it all boils down to the same thing, really. Being scared of what other people will say. Being scared of being criticised for the methods that you use. I know there are a lot of people in the travel blogging community, people that I know that have used the um, follow-unfollow, they've used bots to grow their Instagram. I know they have, and I know they still are because they follow and unfollow me. <laughs> but it's it's a real shame that it's happening like an elephant in the room that none of us talk about it because we're all a bit scared of the criticism if we do yeah I I agree with that but I think yeah maybe we just have to start coming out and owning it Mm. I mean it's easy for me to say because I've I've definitely grown my following organically um if anybody wants to um what's the word investigate it there'll there'll be a spike from when I got mentioned on Zoella's stories that was I think I got (laughs) four to five thousand new followers it may may look like I bought a load of followers that day (laughs) but um oh sorry I had a point I've got back to it so um I always recommend the book playing big by Tara Moore and in that, she has a chapter called Unhooking from Praise and Criticism. Mm, yeah. And I think I've only just recently started to understand what that means. So whilst I think my community are absolutely amazing, um, you know, I thrive off them as much as, you know, I hope they get from me. But you have to be open to criticism and it's not necessarily a bad thing. I think um, we, we grow up in this society where oh, you know, we have to be perfect, we can't make mistakes. Mm. Well, that's just going to perpetuate that kind of behaviour that you've you've just talked about. Mm. Um, And if I said something or did something and and it was a mistake, I I have to own that mistake. And it hasn't happened yet, but I feel like it's going to happen because I keep uh, talking about, you know, keep speaking up for different things. Mm. Um, And and we're not perfect and we're all constantly learning. but yeah, I, I think it's going to be a long time before people admit, oh yeah, I did I did use a bot or I, I do follow on follow. I went to uh, a talk, it was at World Travel Market last year and a guy was talking, it was specifically around YouTube, I think. And he was saying, oh, was it around YouTube? I can't remember. Anyway, he was basically saying, I used a bot to grow my following and I did get into trouble with it, but um, I did. I got into trouble, but I still had the following. And he was saying, I wouldn't recommend you do it, but I can't deny the fact that I am at this level now because I did it. And I thought that was really interesting and brave. And he got a lot of, not criticism, but not a lot of love for his talk. I think because people just thought, well, I don't don't know what to... I don't know what to take from that. And I understand that because what can you do? He's kind of saying, don't do it. But also I can't deny that basically he, his success came in no small part down to it and he hasn't lost his success. Would he have got it if he had tried to do it organically? Maybe, but 
it was it was a really punchy talk and I've never heard anybody else talk about it quite like that oh that sounds interesting yeah I'm mm. conflicted half of me is like yeah okay he owned it shouldn't have done it but he did and yeah that's in- oh I'm gonna be in- I'm gonna be thinking about that one mm. it was interesting it was a panel discussion so there were a few different people but I think everybody sort of felt the same in that it was like yeah good for you but also no naughty you shouldn't have done it that way but also yeah yeah it was very it- it was difficult. And so because of that, I think people didn't feel like they could comment either way. Or, But I think if more of us felt safe to do that or kind of stood up and said, hey, I did this, that and the other, um, I shouldn't have done it. I made a mistake. Anyhow, I'm going off on a ramble. One thing that I did want to ask you, looking back on your illustrious career, which is loaded with sarcasm, by the way, and I didn't mean it to sound so sarcastic because it is an illustrious career. <laughs> All right, fine. So snarky. Um, <laughs> did you did you have, you know, real stumbling blocks along the way? Oh, so many, so many tears, so many, so many soul searching conversations, sleepless nights. So I wanted to work in fashion and when I applied to uni I always talk about back in the day but there was two two kind of courses you could do you could do design but I couldn't do design because I couldn't draw so I went to art college uh, it just it goes so far far back so I went I did art because I knew I wanted to do fashion and luckily I knew um at GCSE level and A level level that I needed to do art to get into fashion and I knew that fashion was where I wanted to be but GCSE art I absolutely hated the teacher to be honest probably should I'm not going to go there but probably um hopefully isn't still teaching he was a massive creep mm-hmm. and a level art I got a d because I couldn't draw and I just like to kind of like play around with newspaper and PVA glue and paint and things and mm-hmm. um and then I did art college which I quit eight months in because again I couldn't draw so that eventually I found this university course and at the time I think there was only two or three in the country called fashion promotion which oh, was PR journalism yeah. styling and marketing and it was the only um I, yeah I'm sure there was three four in the country it was very small and it was one of the only courses you could do within fashion where you couldn't draw so I I, I joined that wanted to be a stylist wanted to work for Chanel um you know and, and now look at me, so so not there in the in the Chanel field. Um, but that's not where I want, wanted to be. Um, turns out, you know, I would have hated hated that time. And I think that that is what frustrated me the most was I knew that I wanted to do something a bit within fashion, but I couldn't figure out how it was going to work for me. I tried the office. I hated the office. I tried so many things. But I think what would have been great is if somebody had told me just can't. Oh, sorry, had a throat gurgle. <laughs> I get them a lot. Uh, sorry, but I wish sorry. somebody would have told me, or I'd understood that this was all part of the bigger picture. It was all part. I was. I always talk about it like a jigsaw. It's just another piece. So when I worked in customer service at Lily Guinness, and half of my job was working on the website and the other half was customer service for the entire world you know when I was crying in the basement because my job was so stressful and I couldn't handle it actually what was great about that position was I I learned to handle anything and I learned to kind of communicate quite effectively over email 
you know, so all these, all these, all these little career stints add up, and you know, what was I rushing for? Mm. And it's, I think it's that thing sometimes with youth where you think you're owed something a lot sooner mm. than you have to earn it. You really have to earn it, and it takes years. And then somebody said to me, you know, your twenties is where you work really hard, and your thirties you still work hard, but it's where it kind of pays off. Mm. But somebody told me that when I was like twenty-eight and a half. It was too late by then. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of could see the bigger picture. But um, but I think what I say to kind of people younger than me or kind of struggling is it it's all going to be part of the jigsaw and all those different things. They're going to bring you different skills, even though you might not be able to see it now. Hopefully further down the line, you'll, you'll kind of look back and be like, oh, I really learned that from from whatever it was that I was doing. And even now, even now when I look at certain things, even if I look at what I was doing last year and I feel like, oh God, I wish I'd started what I'm doing now sooner, I wouldn't, that's, I would never have got to this stage without last year's uh, struggles or even kind of high points and wins and whatever. I feel like it's just every year, everything changes for me. Um, I thought you were going to break out into a take that sign. <laughs> You. Um, oh my god! This is what I was saying about the podcast I uploaded this morning. It's the first podcast where I've like got amazing show notes. It's taken twenty-two episodes <laughs> to get there. You know, do you know what? To get yeah. into a system, and then even now, um, we've got two more episodes left of this season, and then we're going to take a break next season I know to take little breaks so that we can insert the adverts yes why has that taken me three and a half months to figure out but I think what you what you were saying is you've just got to start things sometimes yes Um, done is better than perfect Mm. um I say it all the time that is not an original quote if somebody would like to let me know (laughs) whoever said that first but it's just starting with them you know the magazine it starts off as a 20 page stapled zine I have it um on my mum and dad's um bookshelf in my old bedroom and I just started it and that is another great thing I think about youth is sometimes the naivety that comes with it you just start it you don't have as many fears in your head Mm, as, as generally what I have now and I feel now everything that needs to be equated to money and I have to stop myself and go actually just because it's not going to earn you money um could it be a creative side project which is what the podcast started out as yeah I think that's a really good point um sometimes you can just do things for the joy of it and it might not directly make you money straight away but eventually it will of course if you've got the time to do it but yeah I completely agree with you there's so many things that so many times that I that I hear people say oh I just want to get you know my branding perfect before I start my blog and I think that is a real that's symptomatic of how easy it is to start a very beautiful looking slick looking blog nowadays when we started I don't think it was as easy to do that so there are a lot more jobby looking blogs out there Um, and now the bar is so high well seemingly so high at the start that I think it really puts people off from just starting. Yeah, definitely. But, the, you know, the one thing that we have 
that everybody has is the uniqueness of you. Mm. And I don't think that that should ever be undermined. And I don't think we think about that enough. You know, I could start a zero waste blog. I mean, I'd, I'd be terrible at it because I'm reading yours all the time for, for tips. <laughs> but, you know, the difference between yours and mine would be I'm me and you, you're you. Yeah, absolutely. And we have very different different lives, life experience, aesthetics, the way we write, um, and it can look slick and polished, but that doesn't necessarily mean the content's amazing. Oh my goodness, yeah. I think content is king. It's just one of the best things that you can have in your head when you're writing a blog. Okay. I've been saying content is king. I don't, again, I didn't come up with that. But I've been saying that for years, and that's probably one of the biggest things that still matters. Yeah, I agree. It never changes, does it, really? Because, yeah. I think that is one to to hold dear to your heart if you're a new blogger, is that content is king. Although I do think that for us to say it, it is a lot easier because we're like, okay, well, we've gone through the bit where our content was crappy. I certainly know that mine was and still can be before I found my voice and found my niche and all the rest of it. So it's really easy for me yeah. to say, just focus on the content, you know. Yeah, I think you've got to go through it. So you'll have peaks and troughs. But you know, unless you start, like start today, you're not going to get better. So yeah, I was saying content is king, but you need to, you need to kind of do it and realize, yeah, what you want to talk about what your voice is, and then you're only going to get better. So yeah, I definitely agree with what you just said. Because I'd cut it out otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, Thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. It's been awesome to get to chat to you. Oh, it's all right. Are we over? I can sit and talk to you all afternoon. Well, we can do, but I do need a wee. Yeah, no, I have, I have, a, <laughs> I have a date with my friend and her baby in the park. So. Oh, fun. Um, where can everybody find you online? You can find... Oh, sorry. I've just realised I have um, some food spills on my dress. Um, <laughs> really distracting. Last night's curry. You can find me on Instagram as Betty Magazine. Um, you can find me on my website, which is, I always say www. I think it's important. <laughs> BettyMagazine.co.uk. You can find my podcast with Liv Purvis on Acast, and it is called The Fringe of It. Um, on Twitter, I'm, I'm Betty Magazine on all social media, basically. Um, and I would like to change that and get maybe get rid of the magazine, but all my URLs are perfectly the same. Yeah, they are beautiful, but you're not a magazine, and that is important to know. <laughs> yeah, all the good handles have gone, and I don't know. I don't know what to do about that. And all suggestions welcome. <laughs> and you can find me at Lucy Lucraft everywhere. But I mostly hang out on Instagram. You can find old episodes of What She Said over at lucyloucraft.com where you'll also find me chatting about all things blogging, travel, vegan life and zero waste living too. Lastly, I know everybody asks this and it's a total pain in the ass, but please think about leaving the show a rating and review. It makes a huge difference to getting the show out to new listeners and for every review you leave, I'll donate £2 to charity. So that's £1 for you and £1 from me. The chosen charity changes each month, so listen out for it in the intro each week. Thanks for listening.